0: My name is Jim Blake. I serve as the CEO for Unity World Headquarters at Unity Village. It is about a $25 million, 100 plus year old spiritual nonprofit. And I am the author of the Zen Executive, Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership.
1: We're talking this morning with uh, Jim Blake, and he is author of the Zen Executive, Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. Why don't you tell me your background?
0: Sure. So I spent the majority of my career in technology, believe it or not. I have an undergraduate degree in computer science from a small liberal arts school in Missouri. I have had the opportunity to serve in some of the most progressive and largest technology companies in the country. I served for a global leading energy management company and one of the, the market leaders in traffic technology, believe it or not. And so over the years, I've had the opportunity to serve in organizations where I experienced all sorts of leadership and culture types. And through those experiences, I learned probably more than anything what not to do as leaders and what certainly works and doesn't work in terms of culture and leadership. (laughs)
1: Well, I bet you did. In looking at political leadership today, do you think that influences the corporate world and the world at large?
0: I just think the divisive nature of all things. So there's an influence in just about every aspect of our lives where we have seemed to have lost the ability to have empathy and understanding for another's point of view. I think it's about understanding really our connectedness, right? We're all one human family. We share a lot of the same values. We certainly share our participation in, in this, this government and in this country. And, and so the ability to just have empathetic conversations where we can do some deep listening of another person's point of view, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to agree with it. But certainly if we can allow people to have the space to honor their beliefs you know, and respect that while we're also honoring ours, I think would go a long way. I mean, we used to be able to have civil dialogue and be in disagreement and still be civil and professional to one another. And as I mentioned earlier, we seem to have lost that as a society.
1: Your book is very timely. What would you say is a Zen executive?
0: Well, you don't necessarily have to be in in leadership to model some of the tools and techniques and behaviors I talk about in the book. But really what we're talking about is someone who understands, has a a good deal of self-awareness. So first of all, they understand how their own thoughts and emotions impact how they show up in the world, but more importantly, understanding your influence as a leader. So what I mean by that is, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I had worked for leaders in the past that modeled behaviors like fear and intimidation or command and control. And what that does to an associate who serves in an environment like that is they spend most of their time stressed out or in fear, fear to make a mistake, which impacts obviously your health and well-being. So you're always anxious, you're always nervous. So that has a an impact on your physical health as well as your mental well-being and unfortunately that's not something you can just leave at the office and so it goes home with you so now you're operating in the world in the world from this state of fear and or anxiety which impacts how you show up it impacts your decision making and so forth and so a zen executive is someone who models the capacity to understand That using a different style of leadership, one that is supportive, one that uplifts, creating an environment that is supportive and uplifts individuals that may work on their teams, understanding the ripple effect that that has not only in their productivity from a day-to-day perspective, but also when they leave the office because now they're not operating from from a place of fear and anxiety.
1: If you are not the boss, there doesn't seem to be really much of an option for a a person except to leave if they have a terrible boss like that. And having worked for a few myself, the job might be a good job other than the fact that you have to deal with this person. Um, So it's easier said than done to get up and leave and find a better opportunity.
0: It is indeed. And so what I would say is, again, I think we can go to the idea of modeling these behaviors. I think we all have worked with people on our teams where we admire the way they show up, we admire their presence, we admire the way they handle themselves, or we see the success they may be having as a as a leader in the organization. And so modeling, you know, the behaviors and tools and techniques is one way to sort of help spread the news, if you will. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I would say suggestions. And so I, in the past, I have found some team building exercise trainings for teams that embody some of the principles that I talk about in the book and I've suggested those to a manager. And if you do it under the guise of that, where you're you are presenting it as a way to create greater productivity or under the guise of team building, sometimes you can get, some of these tools and, and principles brought into an organization that way, even though you're not in a leadership position.
1: Without getting fired. Exactly. <laughs> Just a joke there. <clears throat> and getting back to the Zen executive, you talk about something I think that is becoming more accepted across the, the world now, and that's um, self-care and things you do for yourself that make you a better leader.
0: So I would say this is one of the most overlooked items in your life and probably one of the most important. And as you say, I'm heartened to see that it is becoming more widely acceptable, but it goes back to a little bit about what we discussed earlier. How you show up in the world is a direct result of how you're feeling, your thoughts, your emotions, and even your well-being. And so again, if you're stressed out, Push to the limit. You're constantly caught up in the, the chattering mind. We all have this mind that never ceases to stop chattering. And if we're caught up in that constantly, then it impacts, again, our performance, how we show up in the world to our family and friends, our colleagues, and of course, our decision-making. And so the idea is you can't pour from an empty cup. And so the more that you take care of your own well-being, your physical, mental, and emotional well-being, and that you are taking time to meet your needs, In each of those areas, the better you're going to perform, not only personally, but professionally, but also how you're going to show up in the world. So when you have obligations and you have a lot of things going on, when you are well cared for, you're able to handle those much more seamlessly than you are from a stressed out perspective or when you're operating from an empty tank.
1: That was very well said. Talking about bad bosses, uh, you made a comment earlier that a lot of times we all learn more from our bad bosses almost than we do from our good. Have you had a lot of bad bosses and how did you deal?
0: I have had my fair share, to be certain. (laughs) I would say the big awakening for me. So for the most part, I did what everyone else does, right? I, I continued to plug along and just sort of serve in my own suffering. Yeah. But there was a time and a period a few years back where I worked for a boss who was particularly chaotic. He he served from a space of fear and intimidation and was wildly unpredictable. And I can remember I was at home on a weekend. And because I was in technology at that time, I was on call a lot of the time. And I can remember sitting in my living room and seeing his name come across my cell phone and I had a physical reaction. My heart dropped into my stomach. I didn't want to answer the phone. And it was sort of at that moment where I realized, wow, how many times have I had this physical reaction? How many times has my body tightened up, my heart dropped into my stomach? And it sort of became this awareness to me that this was totally unhealthy. It was Uh a completely unhealthy situation. And Mm -hmm. so to your point, I had to consider you know, what's more important? Is it, the, is it this job or is it my own health and well-being? And as soon as that light switch went off and I sort of became unwilling to accept that sort of position for myself, then other opportunities began to open up and, and I was able to leave shortly thereafter.
1: It is funny how that works, isn't it? For me, and a, a particularly odious boss, I was getting to the point where I couldn't take it anymore and suddenly this boss was fired the place <coughs> heave a sigh of relief and we couldn't believe it. It was almost like the universe took over and took this terrible individual out of our path. It, it was incredible. Or as you said, opportunities can open up for you that and now you could see them.
0: That's precisely it. We sometimes create these sort of feelings for ourselves and we limit ourselves in terms of what's possible. But once we begin to, or once we see an opening or see that path forward or decide that we're not going to accept something, then to your point, we begin to see opportunities where we may not have seen them before.
1: I liked your discussion of a mission statement. And is there any way, if you aren't the boss, that you can sort of insert what you see as the mission statement for your organization? Or you can start, start putting forward these important points and pillars that your organization should follow?
0: Yeah, sure. So oftentimes, I would do this at a departmental level, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a mission statement, but we could call it a purpose statement, if you okay, will. But okay. you're really trying to establish sort of a guiding principle for the group that you're with that you're in. What are your goals? What's your vision for what you're trying to do here? And, and the key is to not make it top down, but to really embody where you are and what you're doing as a team or an organization. From the ground up, when people create these really long mission statements with a lot of pretty words, but they're not grounded in sort of the people that are representing them, they ring hollow. So the idea is to create something short and powerful and compelling, because the other thing this can do, it can provide a larger something that the entire group can get behind or be inspired by. So in some cases, when you don't have necessarily a leader or leaders that are, are willing to be you know, super rah-rah, if you will, or, or not the most inspirational, they can get behind this purpose statement, especially if it's meaningful to all those that are on your team. And if they have helped create it, there's a sense of ownership, but it becomes this larger touchstone that you can always refer back to. And if it's especially compelling and in touch with what you're doing from a work perspective, you can begin to then use it to check almost everything you do. So as you're setting goals and performing strategic planning and making decisions, you can go back to this purpose statement and say, hey, is this in alignment with what we agreed our purpose here as we move forward?
1: I hate to admit this, but a lot of times I would suggest something and frame it so that my, it was my boss's idea all along. Isn't that pathetic? But I knew that it would have to come from the boss down.
0: Yeah, believe it or not, that's an adage I still hold dear. (laughs) You can accomplish, the old saying is you can accomplish a lot if you don't care who gets the credit. Yeah. And so in some cases, I've had to do the very same thing in terms of finding ways to create change and, and getting some ideas implemented. If you can plant the seeds and allow them to to be fertilized and grow and someone else can bring them forth, uh, I think that's all that matters in some cases, right?
1: Yes, yes. When it comes to failure, how does failure (laughs) work to your benefit?
0: You know, for generations, failure was this terrible thing. And if you failed in business or you failed personally, you were generally labeled a failure. And if others didn't label you that way, you sort of labeled yourself that way. And so I was I was really heartened in sort of the late 90s, you know, 2000 to 2010, you saw this whole movement around a different perspective as it relates to failure. And it largely came out of Silicon Valley and it was couched in this idea of innovation. And so if you're not failing, you're not innovating enough. And there were books written about failing upward and failing Mm -hmm. forward. And what I most appreciated about it is it sort of took the stigma away from this idea of failure. And it, it gave people permission to take risks and to bring forth ideas and to do a lot more innovation, understanding that it doesn't represent that the organization is a failure or a person is a failure if something doesn't work. It just means that that particular iteration did not work. And so the biggest takeaway is, is to understand what can you learn from something that didn't work out? Is that learning something you can apply to the next iteration? Or is it more of a clear communication that maybe this isn't the best direction to go forward? But the, the real takeaway here is, is to not focus on the failed aspect of it but focus on what you can take away from it, either from an improvement perspective or from a whether or not this idea will work in terms of going forward.
1: I think that's important. However, with cancel culture, once you make a mistake or fail, you're sort of out, aren't you? Do you think the pendulum will swing back or what are you thinking?
0: I do think so at some point. I mean, I think we've sort of taken a step a step back there. But it's my hope that we'll we'll get back to a place where, where people can fail at particular initiatives or make mistakes. And there is some willingness to, and, and, and you still see that today. I mean, cancer culture in a lot of cases isn't permanent. And it only seems to be prevalent in certain circles and applying to certain people, depending on the content of the mistake or the failure. Yes. Lots of people have been able to overcome missteps. And so I would hope that we as a society will continue to support the idea that people and and give people the space and opportunity to change. It doesn't mean that people will always change, but I think oftentimes we label someone or something and put it in a box and then we never revisit that. We never give people a chance to change and or grow. And I believe in in the majority of cases, a lot of people do really want to learn from their mistakes and change and grow. And often cases, the narrative has stuck. And so they're never really given that opportunity, if that makes sense.
1: Yes. Before we wrap up, do you have hope that this, uh, I don't know, degeneration of the culture or whatever you want to call it, do you think that it will change? Do you think that the pendulum, as I said, would, will swing back again?
0: Yeah, I do. I, if you look back historically, oftentimes before there's great change in a society or a great shift in perspective, there's often a ton of chaos. And it's often sort of a last bastion of the old way, holding on, if you will, or or clawing to to remain relevant. But I believe that in general, ideologies, values, uh, and you can already see it, people are becoming fatigued and tired of the divisiveness and sort of fatigued by this whole cycle of disagreement that we're in constantly. And so I feel like this is, is, we're sort of peaking in the chaos before some new order will emerge. And so I think if everyone can hold a vision for that and be patient that uh, we will start to see some seismic shifts in the other direction.
1: Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd uh, like to add? You were
0: great. Thank you. No, I would just thank you for the opportunity to be with you. And thank you for all the work that you do, you know, putting out good messages and good news and finding great authors and teachers and getting that work out into the world because we all need it right.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Jim, and uh, this book is. You know what else I like about the book and this is uh, crazy <laughs> because it's it's such a minor thing but it's a good size. <laughs> stash this in your in your tote bag or in your uh, briefcase and carry it around. It's uh, really easy to sort of stash. It's a minor thing that really works, I think.
0: Yeah, the whole idea behind the book was practicality. So the, the book is, is not overly long, as you mentioned, and it's filled with practical tools and tips that you can actually use. So there's not a lot of theory in there. Everything from the size to the link to the tips and tools that are in it were designed around being a practical and useful tool for everyone.
1: I think it works. You did a great job, and you're really a natural at this. So, uh, well, you're a, you're a Zen executive. What can you say?
0: You're very kind. Thank you so much for the opportunity and and for the time to be with you.